The most pressing question facing cardiac valve surgery is whether to undergo a replacement or repair procedure. Though outcomes of valve reconstruction are in many cases proving notably better than replacement, it is estimated that only a small majority of potential candidates are undergoing the valve repair. How can we reconcile this discrepancy, one that would appear to be placing our patients at greater risk? You are listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Heart Health. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon. Our guest is Dr. Randolph Chitwood, Professor and Chair of Cardiovascular Surgery at the Brody School of Medicine at East Carolina University and Founding Director of the East Carolina Heart Institute in Greenville, North Carolina and President of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. Welcome, Dr. Chitwood. Welcome, Dr. Hill. It's uh, good to be here. Dr. Chitwood, take us through, if you would, a robot-assisted valve repair procedure. A robot-assisted valve procedure is very similar to the traditional operation, where you go in and actually restructure the valve so it looks like the natural valve. The robot is simply an instrument that allows you to operate through a very small incision. There's really nothing robotic about it. It's still the surgeon that operates this device that creates a restructured valve. Now, is this a Da Vinci robot? Yes, we use the Da Vinci. Actually, we helped pioneer this through the FDA trials. It allows three-dimensional vision so that you feel like you're really there. You're ensconced in the operative topography. Also, the instruments have no tremor. So that means your non-dominant hand operates as well as your dominant hand. Are you actually at the side of the patient, or are you sitting or standing somewhere else? We have two surgeons. One surgeon is at the table. The operating surgeon is sitting at the console, which is five or six feet away from the operating table. So he or she is still in command of the operating room, but you have a fully trained surgeon at the table. It takes two people to do these operations. Now, I believe you were the first surgeon in North America and the second in the world to complete this type of procedure? Dr. Fred Moore in Leipzig, Dr. Capante did the very first operations with this technique using the prototype. We were the first in the United States to do a complete mitral valve repair with this device, and we had the first device in the U.S. That led to the FDA trials. Well, how did it feel to do a procedure that's never been done in the United States before? We worked for a number of years with Professor Moore in Leipzig. I'm very well aware of what they were doing, Dr. Moore and I are friends, and so we did a lot of the early work either in the laboratory here or in the operating room in Leipzig. So we were very comfortable that this would work from the beginning. I had done over 500 mitral valve repairs using two-dimensional cameras, endoscopic cameras, and long sort of chopstick-like instruments. So we were certainly familiar with the approach. We just now had to apply the Da Vinci device. Now, when was that first procedure that you did in this country? The first operation was in the year 2000, May of 2000. It was a lady not too far from here who was of European origin. We operated on her, and three weeks later, she was back walking through the Alps with her family. Wow. And can I ask, how long did that first operation take? The first operation took longer than the traditional operation through a breastbone incision. But as with anything, as things are developed, new instruments come along with this device and experience is gained. The operative times have dropped considerably over the last several years. Now you've done more than 400, I believe. Is that correct? We've done over 450 mitral valve repairs using the Da Vinci device. 
both simple procedures as well as very complex ones. Now, when do you decide to repair and when do you decide to replace? That's a very good question. Patients with inflammatory disease are the old classic rheumatic fever that most of our family doctors would see. It's still around from time to time. They usually have a scarred valve, and most of those valves are difficult to repair, to get a valve repair that will last a long time. But what we call degenerative or myxomatous disease, in layman's terms, the floppy mitral valve, we can repair 98% of those valves. And as you mentioned earlier, the difficulty comes in convincing some surgeons to repair valves rather than to replace these valves. Why is that? I think that once people learn a technique or a technology, they become comfortable. And they leave their comfort zone when they start to do something new, such as a repair, especially a complex repair. But we have many more things today that help, such as three-dimensional echocardiography that helps the surgeon and the cardiologist plan and predict what they're going to do at the operation. It's a far cry from when I learned how to repair valves from Dr. Carpentier in Paris in the early 80s, where we didn't have echo in the operating room, and we would actually take a sterile stethoscope and listen to the heart to see if there was a murmur after a repair. We've come a long, long way. Now, is a repair just as good as a replacement? Indeed it is. If you have the type of pathology I'm mentioning, myxomatous disease, and that's the predominant form of mitral valve dysfunction in the United States and North America. A repair has less chance of getting an infection. It has less chance of causing a blood clot to be thrown. It has as good a durability as even a mechanical prosthesis, which requires anticoagulation. And a repair doesn't require anticoagulation. And the thing that's most interesting today, we can even add an operation to convert people out of atrial fibrillation at the same time as we do the repair. Again, bringing people back to not needing a blood thinner. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and our guest is Dr. Randolph Chitwood, Professor and Chair of Cardiovascular Surgery at the Brody School of Medicine at East Carolina University. We're discussing minimally invasive robot-assisted valve repair surgery. Dr. Chitwood, it's been suggested that only 50% of patients having valve procedures are actually undergoing repair. Is this true and why? Well, this is true because many surgeons don't want to leave this comfort zone of a replacement or repairing a very simple valve pathology. They don't want to go the next step to repair the complex valve because they're concerned it may leak after the operation and then they would still need a replacement. But our new paradigms of education are going to be geared in the future or are being geared in the future to teaching people to repair every mitral valve. I wrote a paper several years ago called Save the Valves, sort of like Save the Whales. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was a plea that every surgeon learn how to repair mitral valves. And if not, they should refer that patient to a surgeon who can repair a mitral valve. Now, most of the repairs of mitral valves done in the United States, are they done robotically? No, they're not. Most of the repairs are done traditionally. But as you said, just over 50% are being repaired. So first, we have to get people to repair more valves, be it through a sternotomy or through a smaller incision. But today, there's a greater emphasis on less invasiveness, both for the patient, patient's recovery, it's for their cosmesis, and decreasing complications. What is the difference in their recovery when it's done robotically? Patients recover much faster. 
when it's done either minimally invasively or robotically. The notion is with a robot, you can make a smaller and smaller incision and do the operation totally endoscopically. So the recovery in the hospital is four days to five days max, where it may be a little bit longer with a full sternotomy. But the return to work is much better. And also, the pain is less. There's much less blood loss and there's much less risk of infection than using a full sternotomy. So there's some other benefits rather than just getting out of the hospital two days earlier, even though that is a benefit. Are you doing any valve repairs not robotically? Gosh, Mark, nearly 100% of my straightforward mitral valve repairs are done robotically. The ones that are not done robotically are patients who have multiple coronary artery disease and require a repair and multiple bypass grafts. And that's because you're at different parts of the geography in the heart. In other words, it's difficult to get to Beijing and to London through the same incision. <laughs> right. So therefore, you need a larger incision. But even with that, we've learned how to do what I call a sternotomy light by not spreading the sternum very much and doing a partial sternotomy to do those operations. The other patients that we have not done with the robot are those individuals who have had coronary bypass surgery, and now they develop a leak in the valve. And generally, we've done those with tiny incisions and long instruments and cameras. But we've just started to do these robotically as well. So we've gone up ever slope, very slowly, in an iterative fashion toward more and more complex procedures. Now, I understand that your training center at uh, East Carolina University is the first and possibly the only site in the United States to offer this formal training? I would say we are the largest, we're the first and largest to do this. We've trained over 400 surgeons. We have proctored people in probably at least 15 countries now, and we've done the first cases in many of these countries. There are other isolated individuals who are training people in their local areas. But as far as bringing in large numbers of surgeons from different parts of the country and from the larger institution, such as the Cleveland Clinic, came to learn from our, our team then I think that we have the one that's the most recognized. I'm curious, as a surgeon, how long is the training process at your institution? It depends on the team. If it's a team of surgeons, nurses, perfusionists, and anesthesiologists that have worked well together on a daily basis, the training time is much less uh -huh. because they've already learned to be synchronized, just like an Indianapolis 500 pit crew, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I think another key thing is that the surgeon already has lots of experience at repairing valves. This device will not teach you to repair a valve. You need to be able to repair valves and having done a number of these before you, you start to use this device. So if you have a team that works well together and an experienced surgeon, the learning time is very short and we can get people up and going with you know, not more than 10 cases. Now, are they actually in the operating room with you with your patients? Three parts. One is a didactic component with the device. And one is on-hands training in the laboratory with the device using simulators. And then the next part is coming to the operating room and seeing how our team is set up and watching multiple cases. And we bring the nurses. The nurse works with, with our nurse. The anesthesiologist works with their anesthesiologist. Their perfusionists sit with our perfusionists, and the surgeon and assistants work with me and my fellows that I'm training. Do you ever go out to other institutions and teach and proctor the surgeons there? Yes, we do. We have a proctoring program. I don't often go out myself unless we're starting a program in a different country, 
But Wiley Nifong, who's one of our surgeons and in charge of our robotics laboratory and program, often goes many places in the world, Beijing, Korea, anywhere in the United States, to proctor the first one or two cases. So therefore, it's the didactic teaching, the hands-on with the equipment and system training, then uh, learning in the laboratory, and then from there, observation, and now followed by, in their own institution, mentorship. Now, clearly, uh, you as an expert in this area, is there any part of this that you still find challenging? I would say that it's not nearly as challenging as it was. I feel extremely comfortable operating with this device. In other words, I can't imagine going back to doing it by the techniques that I used to use through a breastbone incision because the vision is so good. You can move cords around. You can resect pieces of tissue so easily. You're actually walking in Joe's heart, so to speak. So I wouldn't say challenges, but I would say that there are many things I would like to have, such as smaller instruments, smaller cameras, new types of multi-arms, maybe have a robot with four arms, five arms, so that you can hold things. I'd like to have instruments that are like a Swiss Army knife, so they have multi-functions. We'd like to have new simulation planners, so we could take the Echo and now put it on a platform that would overlay with the photograph of the patient's heart valve and give you augmented reality to help you operate. So there are lots of things in the future that I think can aid this and make it easier for us to use as well as more reproducible and also put it in more people's hands. Finally, Dr. Chitwood, looking into the future, do you think that this will end up being the gold standard five, ten years from now? I think minimally invasive surgery has already gone from it's dangerous, we can't do it, you're working around big vessels, you won't get as good a result, to the results are just as good using small incisions as using big incisions with less complications. We've subtended that already in, in 10 years, which we never thought we would make it. So minimally invasive surgery is becoming much more the gold standard. To take it to robotics, it's going to take it at least another 5 to 10 years for it to be, quote, the gold standard. But I can tell you, all the things are moving in that direction. Now, what may happen, we may develop, and there are developing robotic devices that are catheter-based that can go up the artery and perhaps repair the valve inside of a beating heart, in the same type of repair we're doing, under a new image-guided echo. So there are other things that are possible as well using different types of robots. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Randolph Chitwood. We've been discussing minimally invasive robot-assisted valve repair surgery. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening.